So I wonder if you remember what you were doing the summer after you graduated from high school. Think back to that time. Some of you haven't graduated yet. Some of you have just graduated. I know for me, when I wasn't finishing up my last club volleyball season, there was a lot of sleeping in. There was a lot of staying up late. There was a lot of going to house parties. And then a few weeks before I needed to report to Houston for my first season, I decided I would start, start taking seriously getting prepared. And my dad had warned me that those few weeks before fall began, that this thing called preseason, that it was going to kill me. And so I had prepared for two-a-days. I had prepared. But then I showed up, and you see, our coach had a little bit of a different idea. So we land, I landed in Houston, and I go to the locker room, and he gives us our uniforms, and then he tells us we're leaving. And he took us away, because he said we'd be too distracted by the football players on campus. And we went up to Lake Conroe, and we stayed at some hotel for two weeks. And this is how our day went. We woke up, and we had breakfast. We went to the gym for morning practice. We had a 30-minute break, and then we had midday strength and conditioning. We ate lunch. Then we had afternoon practice. We left and went to dinner, and then we came back for evening scrimmage. They controlled everything we ate. What we watched, how much we slept, we were not allowed sugar at all. They put us in these things, these torture chambers called ice baths. It was awful. I, I hated and yet I loved every minute of it. As a church, we are entering into a preseason this August. And one of the things that I realized reflecting back on those preseason days is that as difficult as it was, it ended up creating these amazing results. By the end of that two weeks, our team was so bonded. We were of one mind. We were together. We had withstood the, the grueling trials together. We realized, you know, the soft spots in each other and what words we could say to one another that would encourage the person. We also knew the words that we could say that could unravel someone. We knew what our gifts were and how we were going to complement one another's gifts. And so as difficult as it was, this was a very good time. It ended up creating, again, this amazing opportunity for us to be poised for the new year. And that is what our goal is over these next four weeks. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the reason we chose that letter is that it is filled with athletic metaphors. We know that Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome. And I have to think he must have been on house arrest near the Colosseum. He must have seen athletes walking the streets or something for him to use words like training, and athlete, and striving, and working hard, and, and doing all things for, through the one who can give me strength. It's fitting that we're going to use this letter. It got me thinking about my favorite athlete of all time. And I wonder who your favorite athlete of all time is. Michael Jordan has to be one of y'all's top ones. And I was talking with my husband, Charlie, this week about what made him the most successful basketball player of all time. What made Michael Jordan the most successful basketball player of all time? So we know that he had that ability in the final seconds of these games to always make the shot, right? But then he was this amazing defender. 
He had this ability to see the whole court and the, whole, the way that the entire game needed to be played. But the thing that sets him apart most from any of the other athletes is that he had this uncanny ability to always include those that he was playing with. You know, you can't think about Michael Jordan and not think about who? Scottie Pippen, right there. You cannot think about it. Or if I was to say to you, one of the other amazing, amazing basketball players would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? You cannot think about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar without thinking about Magic Johnson. And let's bring it forward to modern day, LeBron James, now the, the greatest basketball player that we have currently, and he would be nothing if he had not had Dwayne Wade playing with him in Cleveland. Michael Jordan said it himself, y'all. Talent wins games, yes. Talent can win games, but it is teamwork that wins championships. Teamwork makes the dream work. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today. The first element in our preseason here at WHPC is how can we as a faith community be a better team? As we prepare to look at our letter in Philippians, let us first look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we are a whole bunch of individuals gathered here, but for some reason, you have gathered us to be together this day. For some reason, of all of the places we could have found a faith community in the city of Austin, we have come to this one. And so God, I pray that as we hear your truth, your amazing words from, from our brother Paul, that we would be given tools for how we can be a better community, a stronger team for your purposes. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock, our truth, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be reading various verses from the first chapter. Hear now the word of our Lord. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus and this is my prayer. That your love may overflow more and more with the knowledge and full insight. And then dropping down to verse 27, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I hear about you, I will know you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And you are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. 
And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, for the last 20 or so chapters, we get glimpses into the Apostle Paul's life and the journeys that he took after he had been converted. And from the book of Acts, we know that he visited the city of Philippi two times. Now, it could have been that he went more, but we're told of two specific times to he, that he went to this church. And this is what's so important about Philippi. After Paul left Israel and Judea, this was the first Greco-Roman city that he went to to establish a church. This would have been a place of great fondness for Paul. Not only because these were kind of like the first Gentile converts for him, but on his first visit there with his traveling companion Silas, he did, the, the Jews did not like what he was doing, talking about this gospel message about Jesus. And so they beat him up. And they beat him really badly. They tied him to a post and they would have whipped him repeatedly. And then they put him, the scripture tells us in Acts, they put him in the innermost cell and they shackled their feet. Well, this would have been the town where the people there, these new converts to Christianity, they would have had to care for him. They would have had to nurse those wounds. And when he and Silas got out of prison, imagine the state they were in, in this beaten state, this really humbled state. These are the community that Paul is writing to. These beloved people that cared for him in this time of, of really just humiliation. And so what, what does Paul say to them as he writes this from his house imprisonment in Rome? He writes this letter back to them. And listen to the first thing that he says. He starts the letter by just praying for them with joy. He prays for them and he is grateful for them. He thanks, for, he thanks them specifically for the way that they have shared in the gospel. Now our English language does not do a good job because it doesn't mean that they just became Christians and that they just kind of continue to tell other people about Jesus. The Greek word that's used there for share is the word some of you all have heard before, it's koinonia. You see, koinonia has this, it would have, no, the, per, the people that read this letter, the Philippians, when they read this letter and they saw that koinonia, they knew that meant something more than just being friends. Koinonia meant being in community. It meant being in fellowship. It meant letting people know when you are at your absolute worst and they came right alongside and started nursing you. This is what he's saying, thank you that you have been there for me when I needed you and I will be there for you when you need me. That is the first element of being part of a team is sharing life together. Paul is saying, thank you. Thank you so much that you shared your life with me. All coaches know that spending time off the court together as a team or with your athletes is as important as being on the court. And I know a lot of us here have community apart from WHPC. You've got your neighborhood groups, you've got your work friends, let alone just keeping in touch with your family, right? But y'all, in order for WHPC to be the best team it possibly can be, it needs every member of the community to be sharing in life together. 
We need older people sharing in life with younger. Our younger parents are desperate to have some mentors who can coach them and guide them as they are navigating things in parenthood that none of us, none of you all ever had to even touch when it comes to because of electronics. And you know what? Those that are newer to the faith, they need to be in our studies. They need to be in our small groups so that we can get fresh perspective, fresh questions, and we can be reminded of those fundamental truths. This community needs every single member engaged Now, if you're wondering, that just seems a little overwhelming. Emily, I've got too much community I already can barely keep in touch with. Paul gives us this great insight. You see, Paul wasn't in Philippi when he wrote the letter. He's writing this from Rome. And yet he tells us what we can do. One of the the most intimate ways to share life together, just to pray for one another. Find a way to pray for this community of faith. When you leave today, you're going to get this beautifully done uh, ministry guide, and it is going to have the names of some of our leaders in it. It is going to show you the programming that's going on this year. I want you to take that and pray for each other. You might not be able to start a new group. You might not be able to get to know 50 more people, but like Paul, we can pray for one another. The first step in being a team is to share life together. And we can do this by praying. The second element of teamwork after we share life together is that we need to be united in Christ. And friends, we need to be united in Christ. Our city, our country, our children, they need to see that we can find something to be in common over. And we are going to do this, Paul says, by standing firm in one spirit. We don't all need to have the same opinions on everything. We need to stand firm in one spirit. That spirit is the Holy Spirit. That is being rooted and grounded in this God that we serve. The verb tense he uses, because he says we need to stand firm in the spirit, it's in the active. Paul doesn't tell us you need to stand still. You need to stay just where you are and keep the same exact mind and attitude that you have always had. No, he says we need to stand firm. It's movement, standing firm, being rooted and established. All of us individually, as members of the team, need to be working on our relationship with Jesus. This is the first way we can stand firm is for each of us. You know that the members of the team are only as strong as their weakest member. Each of us needs to be committed to reprioritize this school year, this program year, to say, you know what? I am going to make my faith in Jesus Christ the priority in my life. And then after each of us is standing, rooted and firmed, we come firm in Christ. We come together, making our relationship with Jesus the priority in all that we do individually, as a family, as a community, as a church. My tendency in my faith, though, personally, is that I don't make Jesus the priority all the time, I I am a really good fan of Jesus. I mean, think of Jesus, he's worth following. And, And honestly, most people in our country, they're really okay with Jesus. And the thing about being a fan is that we can tend to be fair weathered. 
You know, so when things are going really well in life, you know, maybe I can give thanks to God and the, the better things are going in my financial situation, I can give more money away and the more organized my calendar seems, I can give more of my time. Or, or maybe you're one of those fans that is just like the desperate fan and that's the one that, you know, when the team's losing, that's when you really start to pray for things to change. And the thing about, we, we tend to be either or, we're like fair-weathered or we're desperate. God doesn't want more fans. God has plenty of fans. God doesn't call us to just observe and cheer when things are going well or desperately plea before God when things are going bad. God wants us all the time. The thing is, is that faith is a participatory sport. It's not a sport for observers. It's not something we just sit back and, and watch and engage when we want. God is calling us to be on the team. Full participants, rooted and established in our individual faiths and then faiths and then corporately together as a community, no matter how the game of life is going. And this is the coolest thing. God gives us a means to do this because this isn't a solo sport. It's a, it's a team thing. Faith is not individual. Paul writes it this way. He says, I want you to stand firm in one faith. And then he, he writes, striving side by side. I love the word striving. In the Greek, it's sun athleo. And whenever you see S-U-N before a word in the Greek, it just means do it together. Do it with people. And then the word athleo is where we get our word athlete. Do this, this thing of faith. It literally meant something that you did actively. Do it with other people. The literal translation would be compete in the contest of life together. Don't try to do it by yourself. Our faith community here at WHBC is a team and we need to link arms, stand side by side and strive towards the common goal. So what's that common goal? Well, Paul tells us, he says it simply, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. So when people walk in here and maybe you're feeling a little less than, it doesn't matter because the team has a love that overflows more and more and so you feel welcome. Or when you're out in your community, your love is overflowing from you to other people and into our world that our love is overflowing more and more. We're literally like spilling Jesus. Our common goal is to be a team that loves so big that it overflows. And so we strive side by side as a team that prays for one another. We strive side by side as a team that says, you know what? Individually, we are going to be rooted and established in our faith in Jesus and we are going to strive side by side as a team saying we are going to let this love of Jesus overflow more and more. I wish I could stop the sermon here. It'd be like a good three points in a poem, right? But it, it wouldn't be faithful to the text. There is one more element to teamwork. It's preparing for the opponent. And this is a reality, y'all. If Jesus Christ himself, when he walked this earth, had, had the enemy of God come and tempt him for 40 days, how much more is the enemy of God going to want to try to tempt us? This is a reality of being part of this team faith that we call followers of Jesus. 
there are opponents out there. Having resistance to our faith is a fact, and yet we cannot let the resistance to our faith affect the way we are living. So friends, you wake up in the morning, it's Sunday morning, it's August 4th, right? August 4th, and I I wake up this morning, it's it's early, and uh, I see the news. I hadn't checked the news since 5.30 yesterday, and I had this opportunity in that moment. Do I change the way I live, the attitude that I have because of what I hear on the news? Because guess what? It's just gonna keep coming. There's always gonna be another news cycle. And don't be surprised at that. So something we did at Houston was we watched tape. That was the way we prepared for these games. So we would go into one of the football tape rooms because volleyball didn't have their own tape room. And the coach would point out the strengths of the other team. He would point out their weak spots, the places where there was holes in their defense and holes in their offense. But he always made sure to highlight our strengths. He would highlight what we had that they didn't have in those moments. And so he always finished with, this is what you have. You actually have an offense. Y'all, that's what the scripture is telling us. We have something that we can defend. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. And it is natural that as this team, we are gonna have an opponent come against us. And so what does Paul say? He says, do not be intimidated by our opponents. Don't be intimidated. They're there. They're gonna be there. But guess what? You're not doing this alone. We are doing this together. What if we realized this week as you are approaching your life and you know an opponent's out there, you know there's gonna be something that tempts you. What if you said, oh, this is just part of, this is part of what it is to be part of the team. It's because we actually have something that is worth defending. And so the opponents are gonna come after us. So what if instead this week, when you got a temptation to be greedy or a temptation to let the trials of this world weigh you down, to change the way you live because of the enemies that are out there, what if instead we said, I'm not gonna believe the lie that that opponent is telling me. I'm not gonna believe it. Instead, I'm going to choose to be rooted and established in the truth of Jesus that I know. And this is the truth that we know. We are part of a community that is committing to pray for one another. We are part of a community where the individual members of this team are saying we are gonna be rooted and established in our faith in Jesus. And we are part of a community who says link arms. Link arms together. We are going to strive side by side and overflow with this love of Jesus more and more. And we are gonna be able to do this because we are together, because we are a community, we are a team. I hope you'll join me in this preseason this fall. Amen.